Welcome to Conversations in Connectivity. I'm Ryan Carlson, your host. This is a podcast for the IoT professionals and product leaders that are responsible for growing, executing, and at times educating others about the role that connectivity plays within their organization. You may not have a job title with connectivity in it, but you've got the emotional scars to prove that you're doing the job anyways. If learning how others are harnessing connectivity in the industries they serve, you're in luck. In this conversation, I'm talking with Tom Dever from Nimbleink, a division of Airgain, where we discuss the world of asset tracking and how it's used across various commercial and industrial industries. As a bonus, after the interview, I asked Nicole Young to weigh in on the conversation. She's a technologist new to IoT, and together we reflect on the asset tracking discussion with Tom and explore one of my favorite topics about how great connected products can still fail due to a lack of buy-in or adoption from each major player within the value chain for a product. From OEM to distributor to integrator to field technician, all the way to the end user, connected products will encounter a lot of resistance. To learn more about asset tracking from an industrial insider or an industry insider, it's a little bit of each, or building connected product narratives that drive adoption across a value chain, you're in the right place. This recording is brought to you by Soracom, a global connectivity service provider that believes the fastest way to cost savings and scale is when your customers are in full control of connectivity operations. Experience self-service, pay-as-you-go, global connectivity without a contract today at Soracom.io. Signing up for an operator account takes less than a minute. Now on to the interview. I'm here with Tom Dever. He works at a company called Nimblelink, something that I've known as a Midwestern <laughs> technologist. You kind of grew up with the companies that are around you and Airgain brought on Nimblelink. How are you doing, man? <laughs> doing well. Awesome. <laughs> Tell me what it is that Nimblelink does for the Internet of Things space. Yeah. So Nimblelink provides the connectivity piece to get your data from your device up to the cloud through cellular services. So you make... Uh, the little modems, right? The modem that... products and the antennas. Now, with Airgain purchasing Nimblelink a year ago, year and a half ago. So, uh, one of the things that I found kind of a lifesaver in the world, having developed products, is going through the certification process, <laughs> right? And so, the big value proposition on Nimblelink is that your cellular modules are already pre-certified. They're right? end device certified. It means You're you fine. can take that device, integrate it into a sensor or some type of gateway product, uh, put a SIM card in from AT&T, Verizon, or Soracom, or anybody else, and it's already certified on the networks. So there's no further seller certification necessary. And most of our oil and gas customers that are here at the show uh, went with Nimblelink modems because they didn't know anything about cellular. And yeah. quite frankly, they don't care about cellular. They just want to get the data from this device to the cloud, and that's it. Isn't that it, though? I mean, it's the cumbersome heavy lift in the middle. Like, just solve the problem. Just Get this data over here, and then I could do stuff with it. <laughs> that, that, that could say, that's more complicated than that. But yeah, it's like that's the piece that we hope to take some of the complication out of, at least for the cellular networks are concerned. And there's another product that uh, I'm, I'm aware of, and it's the asset tracking stuff that you're doing with your cellular modules. Tell me a little bit about how, what types of problems people are solving with that device and, and like its battery life and things like that. So yeah, our asset trackers were actually formed originally out of uh, trying to track things that you don't want to move. So if you have a box of tools on a job site, and once a day you just want to make sure that box of tools is still where you put it mm -hmm. and that it hasn't moved, um, once a day it tells you I'm still right where you, where you thought I was. 
if it starts to move, it's got accelerometers in it that immediately wake it up and tell you where it's going. Oh, so when you've wow. got hundreds of millions of dollars worth of tools on a job site, you know exactly where they are at any, any one moment in time. See, I keep thinking about asset tracking as things in motion, <laughs> but yours is it, it, it just actually does what? Like a keep alive and then it only triggered on an event. Will it then go, oh, hey, um, now I'm broadcasting live because you're going to want to see exactly where this thing is going. I, I'm moving and I shouldn't be. <laughs> and so now here's where I am. Um, the other thing that, uh, that we've, we've expanded that out in other vertical industries. Um, so some of our asset trackers also go on to like uh, rail cars okay. um, to monitor events and incidents and tell you where the door open, door close. So that's, the rail cars and stuff like that. That's putting additional sensors or things Correct. like that in there. So are you doing anything with a like cold chain where you're looking at temperature? Yeah, that's another big one that we started to, to take a look at and, and started to have customers want to uh, prototype our, our devices on and, and start to deploy them is cold chain. You know, making sure that temperature stays below a certain degrees at all times during the travel. And also uh, sometimes this uh, the, the stuff that you have as you're watching a cold chain passes through multiple uh, 3PLs or multiple handlers mm -hmm. of the cargo. And so if it does go above temperature at some point in the process, what 3PL is to blame for that going out of temperature? So it's also insurance. Yeah. Uh, the insurance companies want to know that so that they know if this did go out of temperature, where did it go out of temperature, when, and then who is to blame for it going out of temperature? I would imagine that you have the opportunity to just like, am I moving? The device could just be sitting there. It's only if it drops or goes above was like 52 degrees for over four hours. That's when it goes, hey, 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 I need some attention. Correct. There's, a, there's edge intelligence uh, built into the devices, accessible by the customer through APIs. Oh, so cool. customers don't have to go and write their own firmware to be able to talk to the device or change the way the device is behaving. They can do that through the cloud services, APIs we offer to the customer. So if the default state for most devices is not broadcasting anything, Right? It's only when something goes wrong, which is a smaller percentage of the time than anything else. I could see that where that's where, uh, you know, if someone had the SORICOM SIM in and then another using a pay-as-you-go plan. So they're only paying for a very small amount of data. And so it's only when things go wrong that you have to pay anything. Otherwise, you're not, right? Versus right. like the cell phone I carry in my pocket. <laughs> it's talking all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I, the bill is the bill is the bill. So the SORICOM phase you go plan is, is perfect for our devices, you know, and the other part of our devices are all battery operated. So there's no power supply to these devices. Wasn't it 10 years? So we're trying to get 10 to 15 years worth of battery life on wow. these devices. So really the cellular link only comes up when necessary because the cellular yeah. is the, by far the highest power draw in the entire yeah. system is turning that cellular on getting attached to a tower and sending data. That's the most power the system is going to burn. And so, yeah, we're, we're off as much time as we can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you're telling people about nimbling and the asset tracking, what is the one thing that stands out you wish everyone would just walk away with? What is the, what is the thing that you know, you, you're the most proud of? Most proud of, okay. Uh, the fact that we can customize these in a very quick amount of time. So the trackers, they meet 80 to 90% of what customers need. There's always a 10 to 20% little addition that needs to happen. And from a firmware and a hardware and a cloud perspective, we designed our uh, software to, be able to modify very quick and easily to get customers exactly what they're looking for from their device and then add that in as a feature set for them. 
I'd imagine that with every unique request that comes in, you're like, that's a good idea. Future generations of customers now benefit from that good idea as well. Correct. Once we integrate into the API, it's accessible to all our customers. Well, fantastic. If I wanted to learn more about Nimblelink, where would I go, Tom? Yeah, nimblelink.com. Is that it? That's the easiest one to go to. Yep. Easy enough. Well, thanks for your time and sharing a little bit about Nimblelink. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. You got it. Hey, everyone. My name is Nicole Young, and I'm here with Ryan. Ryan's a good colleague of mine, and I'm fairly new to IoT, so I, I love getting into these types of conversations with him. And we just finished listening to Tom Dever talk about AirGain's asset tracking and the mm -hmm. modem technology that they have. So this is a great opportunity to have a little bit of a discussion. Are we a partner with NimbleLink? We are. Yeah, it's uh, NimbleLink is an, uh, a company that AirGain purchased. And so they just split out into three different brands. Mm -hmm. And so there's an air game embedded is their modems air game okay. integrated is their connect and asset trackers and air game antenna is, well, it's their antennas. <laughs> okay. That's pretty cool. So what I'm learning is that there's a lot of stuff that has to happen in between. <laughs> I know, and right? Hard and it's complicated and difficult and if you're someone that's just trying to do the thing and in uh you know make the technology work you're not really trying to be concerned about all of the hard stuff in between you just kind of want to get to the good stuff at the end well i mean that's the thing I, yeah. tom said the people in oil and gas which was actually quite a few vendors at that event he's like they all use our modules because customers don't care about cellular they just want the connection to work. And when we spoke with uh, T2 Botus, uh, Botish mm -hmm. from Neuronic Works, he was talking about the certification process and the minute you've got a radio and you're putting it in a device, you know, there's all of these things that you need to do in order to uh, get all of your different regulatory certifications. Now, a, the, the modems that they have a bunch of the certifications are done on it, but then you still put it in your device. And there's always going to be another layer of certifications that any device has the option of going through. The, the thing that I loved about what he was talking about, and this isn't unique to what that NimbleLink product line was doing to asset tracking, is the idea of thinking through the device logic to reduce battery consumption. Yeah, I, I don't notice that part. Yeah. Like, it can do all of its sensing on very little power, and it even have some onboard intelligence, and it only fires up the radio when it needs to, when the event mm -hmm. has occurred. The idea that a cellular device can run 10 to 15 years is pretty wild, though. I just tried to buy uh, a smoke, smoke detector uh -huh. in my house, and they have a plug-in option but you don't even have the option to switch out the battery in a lot of cases. It just has a pre-built battery, says it's good for 10 years. You write down the date that you pull up little, little plastic cab. And, you know, so I've got an alarm that's, you know, 20 or 32, 2032. That's <laughs> when it needs to be replaced. And I'm like, I can't even think that far ahead. But, yeah. you know, I, I think about how many times we, we aren't planning that far ahead and iot when you've got devices that are out in a, a field or in a beehive 
or you know, like out in these remote areas. And the fire alarm is right outside my room. And I can't, you know, always remember to switch out those batteries or stay on top of it. Uh, you know, you get chirp, chirp, and then you, you know, you hit it with the broom and then you end up just pulling the battery out and like, I'll replace this later. Mm. Um, although I suppose it's a business function. What are, <laughs> so what are some, what are, what are some of the questions that, that you might have about this idea of asset tracking or um, the stuff that they're doing? Yeah, I thought that so asset tracking is something that I feel like we're digging into a lot and I'm I'm learning a lot about. And I thought it was interesting. Um, and I think you kind of pointed out that he was saying um for theft, like it's it's a it's a great uh use for making sure that different products and, and things aren't are being stolen and moving. Um I also was thinking more so along the lines of like uh, things that are in motion, they're moving, being able to track that they're getting from point A to point B. But I guess it's not even a question. Just, just it's interesting to me that just having kind of like that extra layer of security and insurance on uh, these big assets that are probably super expensive to replace and making sure that they're not um, being taken or stolen and being able to track them when they are. For sure. About four years ago, I worked on an asset tracking project and the goal there was they wanted to know where the deliveries were. So it was only while it was in motion. So the device had an accelerometer mm. and actually it was a finely tuned one, but it was, it was like built into this like hockey puck device mm. that would go inside the box and inside the box, it was a very expensive thing that shows up at someone's house and you wanted to make sure that it wasn't damaged because fragile. And, and the, the point of the accelerometer was in part to know where is my delivery. That was actually a bonus. The real thing it was for was, did it get damaged in transit? How, how hard of a shock or a force did this box receive? And, uh, because sometimes they'd have to send through third-party carriers. Sometimes they'd have their own service and delivery people uh, bring it. But that was a huge problem, was around claims. And it was specifically around liability and insurance claims. So getting to send this little tiny hockey puck inside the, the shipment, it didn't have to last all that long. They just would pull a little tab, throw it in, and go. It was almost disposable. But with the when you knew the price of the actual claims processing of like trying to diagnose who was responsible, uh -huh. the cost was insignificant when we were yeah. talking about little tiny devices. And some of them were even reusable too, especially mm. if you sent your own service driver out there. So you get into this whole like IoT begins to have value if you put it within the context of, oh, we actually have service people for 75% of our deliveries, they're going to show up and take the, the stuff that was dropped off. And so they can recover that device. Mm -hmm. right? So it's not a sunk cost. And so there's this big financial equation that goes well beyond cost coverage. How much does it cost to produce the thing? It's well, how big of a problem are we solving? Yeah. So let's talk more about, because I'm, I'm fairly new to all things IoT. So what 
like you did you didn't call it ayat so ayat, we're good right? there. <laughs> so, um, but i think the thing that helps me to kind of understand the significance of these technologies the most is the case case studies the the way they are being used and how it's it's not just oh we're just connecting this thing it's there is impact across the entire um value chain so there it, there's impact to be had across from start to finish on these that are it's saving time it's saving money it's giving more security more insurance on mm-hmm. what what these companies are doing so i just think having those those case studies and really being able to see in that way always helps me to kind of understand just how valuable having these connectivity and and devices What's fascinating is actually acting companies through the use case for connectivity, the why IoT. Mm-hmm. Then it's usually how do we make money, save money, recoup our costs, but what is the monetization angle? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then it gets into the, okay, how do we do it? Mm-hmm. Although it's surprising how many times people go, how are we going to do it? And then they're stuck scrambling. Okay, turns out no one wanted this. So the right way to go is to ask why IoT and then how does this impact the business? But my point is that when we're talking about that whole value chain, IoT is often the adoption fails. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's usually based off of the weakest link. And so if, an, if a, a manufacturer, like a big company says, we're going to connect our thing. Okay, why? Are we connecting because we want to be progressive and innovative? Or is it that the person at the very end is the one who needs the connectivity? In that case, you know, the, the foreman loses his bonus. It comes out of his paycheck if the tools are stolen, right? And it makes it a lot harder to prove insurance claims. You know, the, there's, there's a whole cascading series of, of impacts. So it makes sense that, yeah, we, we sell a tool chest that's got an asset tracker in it, or we sell asset trackers that can magnetically go in a tool chest, da-da. Great, we've got a great use case here. But there's a lot of companies that say, we're going to connect a thing. And then they, they go and they go to the end customer and they say, hey, this is the thing we're going to build. And you might get some customers going, yeah, I could see some value in that. But then, they, then you actually have to look at how do they buy the product? And a lot of times it's through a distributor or a channel. So if they're not buying it direct, and you don't build value into this connected product for the person that's selling it to the end user, it doesn't matter how much research you did because uh, I've seen far too many uh, distribution channels go, we're going to keep selling the same thing we've always been selling. You're rocking the boat. You're adding cost to it. You're adding complexity. My service guys just don't know how to troubleshoot a network connection. So how about I just keep selling the same thing we've been successful at and stop trying to push this on me? And so what you find is going through that why IoT exercise. And when I say value chain, we'd go through an exercise. We'd say, okay, you are making a thing. How do you know why you're making what you're making? How do people buy it? Okay. Oh, it's who's, who's, you know, it's the, the, the customer or the, who's the buyer and who's the user? And is there an intermediary? And so then you talk through and saying, well, what is the distributor looking for? They want you know, higher profits. They want you know, ease of use. You know, they, mm-hmm. does the, we have to think about, does this make their service business 
easier. Uh, so you think about the people in that value chain and you have to think about why does everyone get their cookie? Uh, and because it's, it's the, the, the one group, if you go through that whole value chain and find someone who has their objection, it's the path of least resistance. It's just surprising how often it's going to go. No, unless you got a grand slam, you know, and in fact, the only way I've seen a lot of these products that have no value for the distributor connected products that end clients, they're the ones who are going to their outlet, whoever they buy their stuff and go, I want this. I saw it. I need it. And, and it's, they kind of get dragged into the future because change mm-hmm. is hard, right? Yeah. So that's where I see connectivity really still running into a lot of challenges is thinking through not just the operational now that you've sold the thing it's still the how do we get people to adopt the thing yeah i feel like i've totally been rambling no that's that's a good point and i think you know i see this in the adoption of many different types of technology but i feel like a different level of complexity here that it does affect everyone in the entire chain and you have to kind of get everyone to to be on board and to see the value in it. So I can see why that would be super difficult. So how do you feel like, were you saying that you, you think that there's a specific type of party that usually says no? It's whoever isn't being considered in that value proposition. When you, it's, that's such a dorky, nerdy <laughs> term. Well, let's see your value proposition. Uh, if you're not helping someone make money, save money, save time, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you can't think about the emotional win that people will feel, every single person in that chain, how does this make their life easier? That's where the adoption challenge will be. It, I mean, it could be all the way down to the service technician, grumble, grumble, grumble. Hey, boss, this is like taking three times as long to put in. This is really dumb. Uh, you know, we keep coming out, we're actually making more service calls, not less. And, you know, so if, if everyone doesn't have buy-in, that's where you can expect the pushback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really recommend people go through that whole value chain conversation before they even commit to building the connected thing, mm-hmm. because you can be a hundred percent right and a hundred percent wrong all at the same time, right? Great mm-hmm. ideas die. And it's usually not because of a technology challenge. That's where I think the asset tracking is a very approachable story, Mm -hmm. right? Once upon a time, there was a construction company that had tool thefts from their 50 different job sites they'd have Mm -hmm. and roughly 12% of them. And each time that happened, upwards of $6,000 of tool losses would occur. Now, that wasn't actually the real problem. The real problem was that they had slowdowns on the job site. They, they had to move tools from another site to go and continue work. And it wasn't the insurance claim. Sure, that was some hassle. But just knowing that there was something happening, because where there's smoke, where there's a little bit of theft, there's probably a lot more theft that's going on. Mm-hmm. So if you have the opportunity to identify that, because it starts with one, what they find at job sites, it's one small theft. Mm-hmm. then another one, then another one. And so by the time you actually really notice something's gone, a whole lot of other 
theft has already occurred. So with asset tracking, they're identifying theft early. Things are moving when they're not supposed to be moving before it gets to the big heist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? The thing that really sets the job back and that's what pays the bills. And so in a world of asset tracking, it's actually solving that problem. And so you can it's like see the business owner, the claims guy, the person who's getting the thing built, you know, all of them benefit when that can change, right? Can I tell that, that story? Because it's a transformation. And I think that's the thing that we forget about IoT and about any technology is that technology, when it can transform how we do something, I think that's really where we can see the adoption at multiple levels. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for attending my TED Talk. No, it's cool. I feel like we could talk about it for forever, honestly, but I do think I learned a lot today. All right. Well, next time we'll see if you've got more questions and and maybe there's some answers. All right. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks.